morning, Foundation Church. I'm excited that you guys are here with us today. You're in this series that we've been in for the past few weeks, living intentionally, mastering the habits that matter most. And as we begin to think about habits, and maybe as you look around, maybe at others' lives or even in your own lives, there's this common truth is that nobody ever plans to ruin their life. Nobody ever plans to do that. No one ever plans that whenever they get married, that to one day that this will then lead to a divorce. Nobody plans that. Nobody plans to start a budget and then uh, with the hopes of becoming bankrupt. Nobody does that. Nobody hopes of just looking one time at something on their phone and then becoming addicted to porn. Nobody ever plans for that. Nobody thought of just taking that one drink or that one pill that it would have inclinations or, or implications throughout your life that would lead to being addicted in that way. You, my friends, and me, we never plan to ruin our lives. We never plan to see these things happen, but it happens all too often. All too often, whether it be your story or those in your community or those in your family. And oftentimes it's summed up in like one sentence, like his sex addiction got out of control and he lost his marriage. His wife left him or she started using again and she lost her job and she lost her marriage. Or he always battled with weight and he ended up dying at 53 of a heart attack. We make it sound as if it was just a bad day as if it was just one decision, one moment. But what we really get to see, with the, uh, definitely in the context of habits, is that people don't end up in a bad place all at once. You, my friends, don't end up in a bad place, wherever you may be in your life, all at once. Instead, what you find to be true is one bad decision, one wrong step, one harmful habit at a time, you end up finding your place in either ruin or disarray, wherever it may be. One bad decision, one bad moment at a time. And here's what's really difficult, is that we make our decisions, and then our decisions then make us. Okay, there's kind of this truth, like we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. And here's what I know to be true, is that oftentimes the decisions that you make is that you didn't want to make the decision. You didn't want to make that decision that led you into addiction. You didn't want to let make that decision that led to your marriage failing. But the decisions that you have made are what make you, are what make me. And the struggle that we have with the decisions that we make isn't something that is uncommon. Today, what I hope is to lay some of the most common ground for every single person in the room. And I'm not the first person that does it. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7. There's this verse that will make one of the greatest connections to you and to me. Verse 21, it says this, I have discovered this principle of life. And we've been talking about some of these principles. First, we talked about you reap what you sow. If you want to change what you're reaping, change what you're sowing. The second week, we talked about staying connected, that, that a branch not connected to the vine cannot, will not ever bear fruit. So just simply be the branch. This is the rule of life that Paul begins to play out for us, this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen, right? Amen. And so let's just look just for a moment here. Is that I know for a fact, or I hope, well, let's talk about a couple of things. Nothing 
I know for fact here, but is that today within our series, we've talked about some of these habits. How do we create good habits? How do we begin to live intentionally, begin to experience fruit in our life? But what we have to do oftentimes in order to start something new, you must first look at some of the habits that you have in place in your life right now that are leading you in a direction that you don't want to go. This would be, my friends, breaking habits or making decisions in a different way than maybe you have before. And I want to talk to all of those here in the room today who want to change, who want to change, who hope for something better for their future. To all those in the room that have actually tried to change and failed, amen, been there, done that. I want to speak to all those who have even stopped believing that change is even possible in your life. This is week four of a new year, or maybe week five, I don't know, however you measure a month. It's almost the end of January. More than likely, your New Year's resolutions died in week two. And so you're now questioning, can I really even change another new year just down the drain? Can you even change? Maybe you stop believing. Maybe you feel discouraged. What I know is that you probably feel frustrated, exhausted, embarrassed, ashamed, ready, excited, trying to find some hope for a better future. And here's what I want to share with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Today, my friends, you are not alone. We are going to be looking at Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament. And we're going to see that we actually connect with him in the same way, or he connects with us in the same way. That the things that you want to do, man, they are difficult to do. And he helps us understand this common struggle. Helps us understand this, but he offers us at the end some hope. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be in Romans chapter 7. And I encourage you, take some time, read Romans 6, read Romans 7, and read Romans 8 throughout this week. But we're going to start kind of right here in the middle. And we're going to start with verse 14. It says, so the trouble is not with the law, not with the law, not with the commandments of God, not that with all that God has written and wrote, the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and it is good. It is holy. It is just. It is right. The trouble is with me for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. That's like one of those is like, it was him, not me moments. You know what I mean? And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can anybody just like resonate, pause or say, say, yes, I get that, right? I get that. It's crazy. Do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me as we continue on. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who, who will free me from this life 
that is dominated by sin and death. And we're going to pause right there. Now, my goal for us today is just to connect and resonate with where you are, but more importantly, just to get to get to dissect and look at what Paul was experiencing right here. Not just like a total experience of his life, but what he was experiencing is like a common principle of life. And where we want to start is really he brings to light this common conflict. It's as if you in your life, you have two men and you have the man that wants to do what is good. That you have the man in you that wants to do what is right, to use some of the language you're pulling, to do what is right, to do what is good, to do what is in agreement, in agreement to the law of God that's holy, just, that's good, that is spiritual. That this law even brings this man great delight and you love the law with all of your heart. And then you even know, it isn't like, you want to do good and you don't know what's good. It's like, no, no, no. You know what is good. You know what is right. And what then will lead to a life that is full? And you hope. There's this man that wants to make the right decisions in every single step. Wants to almost be perfect, if you will, to make the right decision. But then the other side. We see, though, that even though this man may leave, live among you, there's another man that's like this this squatter that comes into your life that you don't want in your life, but is in your life. This is like taking, taking over, making its home in you. This other nature that leads into do what we hate is the language that's used. That to do what is wrong, even to the point where you say, I don't even understand why I did that. I don't even understand myself. Some of this language. And it's almost like this, I can't not do it. I can't do what is right. I can't not do the wrong. To do what I don't want to do, to make decisions that are not of the spirit, but are of the flesh. And you got to look at that. Why is this conflict here? Why do we experience such conflict in our life? Well, there's a couple of words there. There's one word that brings this to life. You can look in verse 14. It says, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Or if we look in verse 17, this other line that says, So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. It is as if there is this sin, this external force, this power, as it says in these verses, this law that is coming against you, a realm that is completely and totally in conflict with all that is good. That is all that is God's law it is completely and totally in conflict. You can feel it in conflict with your life, of conflict of doing what is good. It does not seek to glorify God, but it seeks to kill, steal, and destroy your life, my life. Like this ever-roaring power that is just coming against you. And it says these words, it's in me, as if it's made its home. And how does it work? It uses the law. It uses the law to recognize our faults, to recognize our failures. But then it uses the flesh against us. All the things that we desire, all the things that we are seeking, it seeks to please all that the flesh desires. And how does it do it? It works off impulses. Just these impulses. 
There's a couple different analogies I want to bring to life here, but why is it easier? Let's look at this question. Why is it easier to do wrong than it is to do what is right? Why is it easier to do what is wrong than it is to do what is right? And it's going to give you a nature of how the enemy will work. Well, why is it easier to do what is wrong than it is to do what is right? Well, let's talk about doing what is right. Oftentimes, when you want to do what is right, it is painful in the beginning, and then the results come later on. So imagine some of you today are like, I want to become a jogger, not a runner. We don't really run. You know, we just jog. That's like a fast-paced walk. Can I get an amen? How do you do that? Well, what's that look like? Well, if you're going to decide in January, wrong time, you already messed up because you're going to go out into the freezing cold and immediately you're going to be cold. And then your hands will begin to try to warm up, get blood flow, and that's painful. And then your breathing is just going to be really, really difficult and that's going to be painful. And then at the very end of this run, you're going to have sore feet, your legs will be sore. The next day, you won't be able to hardly walk. And then you'll look at the scale and step on and say, yes, I know this made a difference. No change whatsoever, right? And what do you immediately feel? Discouraged, like, how could this be, right? Because when we are trying to do good, you know that over the course of time, that if you continue in that same pattern, you will see results. But the gratification comes later. Through much pain, through suffering, you will find what you most desire. The opposite is true to do what is wrong. See, to do what is wrong, what you find is that gratification comes first and then pain comes later. See, just for an example, man, anybody in here just love a chocolate cake? Yeah, amen. Right, you're my people. Gosh, it's good. But you just imagine, just for example, this is a really loose loose analogy, but you just get to see this, that if you begin to spend your life and you, you dive into that chocolate cake day in, day out, the ice cream and the chocolate syrup on top, day in, day out, and what you'll find is, man, that satisfies you. That satisfies your soul. And you're like, that was good. And then the next day, what do you crave? That same satisfaction. But then here's what you find. You do that year in, year out, or day in, day out, month in, month out. And then over the course of years, over the course of time, you will walk into your doctor's office and you will be given a bad diagnosis. You will be given some bad news. And you'll begin to wonder, well, how is that possible? And, but then really and truly, because you're looking for the moment, but it was moments of your life that led to that bad diagnosis. And so the enemy knows this. The enemy knows this, that when he comes in your life, he's going to put forth what will gratify your flesh first. He won't bring forth something that is painful or difficult, but he's just going to try, to try to cater to the flesh, cater to your desires. And here's what you find. The payoff is now, but the pain will come later. And he attacks not only the flesh, but it says here he also attacks the mind. There's this song, I believe, it says the mind is a battlefield. Yeah, no, it's somewhere like that, right? But we know this to be true. If I were to sit an Oreo on the table and it's like you can only eat one or you can eat 10, you know eating one is the right decision, but 10 would feel so much better for a moment, right? Where does that decision come to? Right here, right here. You will have a war wage in your mind of what you know to be true, what you know to be right, what you know to be good, but you will choose the 10 cookies almost 90% of the time. And you can imagine this playing out way beyond just diet, way beyond just diet, 
when you think about the lust that may come into your life or the, the desires that may come into your flesh that may be outside of your marriage, or you think about the, the envy, enviness within your soul that comes outside of just being content, you understand how the enemy wants to weave in and work and gratify that flesh. Galatians 5.17 begins to kind of put together this picture a little bit more for us. It says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit wants us desire, gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And the conflict, what it seems like in my own experience is that the conflict is constant. It doesn't seem like it ever lets up. It seems like the enemy is constantly trying to find that new nook, that new cranny in which to, in which to steer me in a direction away from God's truth and God's desires for my life. And it's really not an option. And this is the part that maybe some of you have wrestled with, because I was thinking about this. If we look at just the verses before, I began to question, how can this be? I thought I was free. I thought I was free. Why am I still feeling these desires? Why do I still feel this struggle? Why do I still feel like I'm just constantly under attack? I thought I was free from this bondage. And how is still sin still living in me? Well, Romans 6, 16 through 19 gives us this picture. Romans 16, it says, Don't you realize that, become, that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God you were once slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching. But now... Oh, I'm sorry, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. And now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. And then 22 to 23 kind of gives us this, this finish point. But you, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And you kind of see him speaking to these, this tension once again between doing what is right and doing what is of the flesh, to, doing, to being slaves to righteousness or being slaves to the flesh. This tension continually getting played out. And then he speaks in verse 7 as we see this connection to the laws, to those that are Jewish. We see this connection that the law that is bringing to life your imperfections, that you want to do what is right in the law, but yet you find yourself doing the very opposite. How is it possible for someone to be free but yet feel in bondage? That's been the tension all week. And so I begin to see this, that we see in Christ Jesus in chapter 16, thank be to God, 
Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey the teaching we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery of sin. Here's what I love. We're free. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are free. You hear that line, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? Well, sure. Well, sin has no power. It has no bondage over. You are free. The wages of sin of death are no more. You are free. Right? That's truth. That's truth. This is a promise. But here's where I begin to look at it a little bit more. If you find yourself, we don't really, this is, a terrible analogy for us because we don't really find ourselves. But if you look during this time, you would imagine that there is a fortress around your city to protect you. This is what you occupy. This is where you live. Do you experience freedom in that city? A hundred percent. But what you will still experience is the invading army. What you will still experience is the army outside of the walls that still wants to kill, steal, and destroy, that is constantly trying to find its way in to destroy all that God is trying to build up in you. It's as if the invading army, that we are not free of that. Do you have freedom from all sin? 100%. But it's as if this invasion is still constantly coming at you trying to break down the walls, trying to bring discouragement upon your life. And so this has been a real struggle, free of the consequences of sin, but not necessarily the influence. We just know this to be true. We know this to be true in our lives, this struggle. And free of sin does not deny that from time to time, sin does not even get the upper hand, if we're honest. Is that the struggle of the conflict of life, this discouragement, disappointment, and even defeat has happened and may happen or may still be just on a rampage right now in your life. But you're free. But yet there's an enemy that's trying to invade you, trying to invade and break down your walls of your life. But these other verses, they bring something to me and to you that's very important. That all throughout Romans 6, 7, and 8, what you begin to find is that willpower will not save you. That you did not free yourself and cannot free yourself. You cannot and you did not free yourself. And so willpower, your power is not the answer. And once again, you know this to be true because you've tried it. How many of you have ever said these words, this is the last time? Yeah, right? Or maybe put it another way. I determine here and now that I will not do this any longer. Or maybe a little bit deeper that you deleted the Facebook app, but yet you still open it up on Safari. You know what I mean? Anybody say amen to that? That you only look down on campuses. You never let your eyes glance at whatever it may be. That you make the calendar of all your workouts and how you're going to get better and improve. But now they are just collecting dust because, once again, it's the end of January. That you made these vows to a person. You made this covenant relationship to a person, but yet you find yourself wandering away from that covenant that you made with him or with her. And you only find yourself with willpower. You still find yourself impatient. You still find yourself yelling at your kids. You still find yourself just being not as strong as you really think that you are. And the inward nature, even though it may delight in God's law, even though it may delight in what is good and what is right, you find that there is another nature among you, the old nature, that still delights in breaking that law. And so no wonder... No wonder that today you may find yourself discouraged. 
No wonder today you may find yourself ashamed or, or even at the point that I just need to give up. It's no wonder that you feel this way. And I think to a point, it's good. If we look at verse 24 one more time, he begins to proclaim these words. He says, oh, what a miserable person that I am. Anybody under the, the power of sin and, and its effect on its life, it just makes you feel miserable to the core. It makes you another version that says wretched as if you're in anguish, as if you are not necessarily without hope, but you are for sure experiencing the lows of that suffering under sin. And this wretched man, this wretched man just trying to exert all of your energy, just trying to make something better is what we've always tried to do. But the wretched man calling out is to understand that you actually can. It says these words, oh, wretched man, who can save me? Who can save me from this life of sin and death? Because here's what I know to be true. I have tried, and it has not worked. I have tried, but yet I find myself still under this law of sin. I have tried. And so, God, I am proclaiming who? Who will deliver me? My friends, I think this is the place in which we start to see incredible transformation in your life, to see freedom. And this is almost the way you come to faith. As if you begin to proclaim, you understand your brokenness, your wretchedness, you just call out, who will save me from this life of sin and death? And then Paul gives us hope because he's like, it isn't you. It isn't how much you obey the law. It isn't how much you may love it and honor it. You will still find yourself falling short. You will still find yourself not perfect. And you will continue to find that you cannot save yourself. And so he says, who? And then here's some good news, people. Verse 25. Come on, Chris. It's going to be good for everybody. This is good news. Thank God. Everybody just say, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, that this is the one. We've seen it in verse, in chapter 16. Same language. Thank God. Once you were slaves, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching. Verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Deliverer, the one that wakes all bondage of sin and death. He is the one that gives us hope both today and tomorrow and for the future. He is the one. But here's the little part that's been kind of throwing me off. He doesn't end there. In verse 7, he doesn't end there. Verse 7, he continues on, or in chapter 7, he continues on. He says, yes, we are unified with Christ. We're alive to God. We're set free. But he finishes this way. He says, so you see how it is. And I kind of read this just like a culmination. So you see how it is. You want to do what's good? Yeah, good luck. You've tried it, it gets difficult. You understand now that your willpower won't save. You understand now your willpower will actually only take you so far. And I want you to understand as well that all that you're seeing around you is there's a whole other nature in this world that wants to see you fail, that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. As I say it over and over again, because that's what he does that there is a power, that there is an evil that is coming against you. So you see how it is, right? 
You see how it is that you cannot save yourself. You see how it is. And then you connect once again. That in my mind, I really, really do want to obey God's law. I really do. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now in chapter 8, we're going to talk about it next week. It is going to be like one of the greatest celebration messages that you have ever heard in your life to understand that there is a greater power beyond yourself, that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus have received the Holy Spirit, and He is the one that can do immeasurably more within you and in your life than you could ever, ever imagine. Next week, you're going to get to hear that incredible hope. But I really wrestled in like how this ended in chapter 7 and really wrestled with how to end it today with you. Because here's what I don't want us to believe is that it's under our own power and it's under our own strength that we can find this freedom. But then I also don't want you to believe that there isn't some things that you could do differently. That like right now, you understand now fully and completely the wages and the war, the invading army that is coming against you. And it's like you're opening the door. It's like you are standing at the gates of your city and you're just like, he seems like a nice guy. He seems like, he, I mean, promises is just like all sorts of fulfillment and pleasures. I'm sure nothing bad can happen. And it's like you're just opening the door. It's as if your life right now is just a heyday for the enemy. And so here's what I begin to think about. And here's where I want to leave you with just a few challenges, some things that I've seen in my own life, is that I begin to look like we do not have the power to defeat sin. We do not have the power to defeat sin. We're going to learn all next week that there is an incredible power, the Holy Spirit, that is able to do that, that is able to do more than we could ever imagine. But today, what can we do? Well, if you imagine still using the fortress analogy, what can we do? See, a fool would believe that there isn't an enemy. A fool would believe that there isn't an enemy. And so what can we do? The language that I'm using and the Lord may speak to you, I hope through this, is that we can prepare. Is that today I just want to challenge you just prepare. Prepare for two things. Prepare yourself to allow the Spirit of God to move through you, but then also prepare for the enemy that wants to attack you. Prepare. And there's four little things that I've got to see in my own life that I want to bring to you as just some challenges, some application points, some things that you can step into. The first one is you cannot, you cannot defeat what you don't define. Number one, you cannot defeat what you don't define. And what I mean by that, once again, you do not have the power to defeat it. Only God can do that. But here's what I want to do. We've defined one thing that the enemy wants to attack you. We know the enemy is at work. We know the enemy is at play. But here's what I want you to define. How is the enemy at work in your life? How is the enemy at work in your life? What is he doing right now in your life that may be discouraging you? That may be coming in your marriage right now. That may be creating envious hearts and thoughts. What are you doing right now that's causing this comparison that you're falling into or this addiction? How is he attacking you right now? And more than likely, that's not hard to find. If you really want to know, just ask your spouse and she'll probably tell you. How? How though? Define it. But the second one is you cannot prepare for what you don't share. A little alliteration for you again. You cannot prepare for what you don't share. 
One of the most simple steps that you can take today is that once you define it, you can bring it to the light. And here's what I want you to know that when you share it, that throughout our culture, there's been like this shame and guilt that if you were to bring forth like the struggles of your life, it's as if you are shunned or you are looked down upon. Like, how dare you struggle with that? But here's where I want to shift is that, yes, there is a war. There is a conflict. But if you shift your language to say, hey, I'm struggling with this, to shift your language to say, hey, this is how the enemy is coming at me right now. This is how I'm feeling attacked right now. This is how this, this other nature is coming against me. And here's what you're going to find if you use that language, every single one of us is in, in agreements that we feel some sort of pressure. So shame and guilt goes out the door. Or if you have shame and guilt upon somebody else or judgment upon somebody else, just look at yourself. And so I just want to encourage you, change the language. How is the enemy attacking you right now? And bring it to life. Some would call this accountability. Some would call this confession. Either way you put it, this is how you bring to light the struggles. This is how you begin to just have a taste of freedom, to understand that, listen, somebody else knows about it and somebody else is praying about it with me. It's no longer hidden. It's no longer buried. It's no longer just a lie that enemy can say, no, it's full-fledged in my life, brought to life, and somebody needs to know because I can't do this on my own. I know the Holy Spirit's with me, but I want somebody else to come alongside me. So you cannot prepare for what you don't share. And then the third one, just want to challenge you here. Move the line. Move the line. Do you remember like whenever you were in a dating relationship and you just had to ask the question of like, how close can I really get without it being a sin? You know what I mean? This was super awkward for me last service. My in-laws attend first service. And if you know the story, I've dated Emily for, for many, many years. Um, let's just say the line wasn't always very clear. That's for sure. We probably should have moved the line a few times. And that was, yeah, I didn't go into detail like that. So this is a little too much here. But move the line, right? Is it like, can I just smell her hair? Like, is that sin? Or is it like, can I kiss her? You know, they were like, what? Like, how close can I go beyond that? Like, how much more can I go? You know what I mean? We move the line. We continue to see how close we can get to sin. As if it's like, how close can we get with feeling or having our desires pleased or having our flesh fulfilled? And we don't do this in any other part of the life. Imagine if like a, uh, uh, a pilot says, hey, we're going from Huntington to Florida and I'm only going to use a quarter of a tank because I think it's just enough. You know what I mean? Nobody would ever want to crash land or come landing with no more fuel. Never. Move the line. Move the line. Move the line. Put distance between you and temptation. If you're in a dating relationship right now, this is really, really challenging, really hard. Move the line. Move the line. Put distance between you and temptation. Allow boundaries to be set up that this is not where we cross because if we cross this line, I know we're in sin. I know that doesn't lead to a good path. Move the line. And moving the line for me, this has been one of those things that I think is really a part of our culture and something that we, that we talk about quite a bit. But for me personally, as we just begin to think about this, move the line. Put distance between you and temptation. Here's the one that I see just coming at our culture in a very, very big way because I've got to see it and I've got to experience it. You see, in 2010, 
They, or no, I'm sorry, in 2008, they came out with this thing called an iPhone. And now it's become like a part of you, right? It's like the, the other limb that now is connected to you. And here's what came with it, all sorts of good, all sorts of like really, really awesome tools, all sorts of really, really, thing, really awesome things that can be helpful and good for you. But we know, we know that with that came all sorts of evil. With that came with all sorts of access to things that we were never, ever meant to view, and especially not so easily and so quickly and so hidden. And over the course of my life, you can get to see that as we continue to progress and this technology happens, new apps show up. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And what you continue to find is this sexualization in our entire culture and this struggle that can happen. And so you want to know how I put distance between me and temptation? If you were to look at my phone right now, you only got about a minute on Safari and what you can find there is pretty limited. Like if I wanted to look up Bella Canvas t-shirts, which I've tried in the past, it's just an awesome t-shirt, you can't. And I'm down to 30 seconds now after figuring out I can't. You'll find Instagram isn't on my phone. You'll find Facebook isn't on my phone. You'll find Twitter isn't on my phone. And it isn't that I didn't try these things as if they were going to be like, ah, how bad could they really be? But what I found was that the enemy continued to put these temptations in my heart and put these things in front of me. I was like, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of these things just continually being in front of me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move that line. I'm going to move that line big time. Now that means I don't, I don't see your, your dog posts or your cute selfies or anything like that. I apologize. But what I do know is I also don't see all the other things. Because here's what I hope is that in 20 years, I'm still madly in love with my wife. That I'm still a good father to my boys. And that I'm still pastoring people and leading from a place of humility and service to, to shepherd the people. But here's what I know and you probably know this to be true, is that the enemy doesn't want that for my marriage. The enemy doesn't want that for my kids. And the enemy definitely doesn't want that for our church. And now we realize that. We recognize it. And so whatever that may be for you, and it will be something, it will be something. How do you begin to move the line, put distance between you and temptation? Some would call these barriers. I call them freedom makers. Because oftentimes when you begin to put barriers, you think you're being too restrictive. No, no, no. Because I know on the other side of that is not, is not freedom, but is enslavement. And so we find freedom by putting just things separate from where we are, separate of who we want to be. What is that for you? Move the line. Move the line. And then lastly, as we come to a close here, we lead into a time of worship. Just remove the triggers. Every single one of us is triggered by something. You may today be triggered by your environment that you're in. See, in the Rayburn household, we have one set of treats. You've heard this. It's the Oreos. Nothing else is allowed to come in because if it comes in, it gets eaten. The environment is trying to be conducive to what we hope to be health-wise. Your environment is not producing a healthy lifestyle for you in whatever way, relationally, financially, physically, whatever you want to call it. Your environment, look at it. Remove the triggers. Remove the triggers. Look at what you're consuming. More than likely, you spending three hours on TikTok, even though it may be entertaining for a time, will not leave you full. Will not leave you satisfied in the deepest way. 
But you'll also see your mind begin to shift and change by what you're consuming, by what culture's telling you, what others are saying. Look at what you're consuming, how it triggers you. Look at your moods. Moods are challenging and moods come in different moments, but late at night you may be different than how you work in the morning or at midday after work, whatever it may be, what moods trigger certain responses. And then lastly, who are the people you're surrounding yourself with that is, con- that is causing struggle and conflict in your life? And I encourage you to choose some different people to begin to surround yourself with if people are the problem that are bringing up these triggers to you. And so as we come to a close, here's what I want to just bring to life once again as we kind of summarize everything we've talked about. Listen, no one ever plans to mess up their life. No one. No one ever plans to mess up their life. But many people do not plan not to. Many don't plan not to. And so I encourage you today, I challenge you today, just be honest and vulnerable with where you are. Where are you right now? Where do you sense and feel like the enemy is attacking you right here, right now? And then here's where I want to challenge you, some honest steps that we have taken in our life, but I encourage you to just look at how do you prepare for the attacks that the enemy may bring upon you? How do you prepare for them? And next week, you're going to get to hear, I promise, about the incredible power of the Holy Spirit and how that changes things so much. But how do you prepare for Him to be able to work through you? How do you prepare to silence the attacks of the enemies or to to push them away? And here's what we wanted you to know. When you are weak, his power is made perfect. When you feel like you are in a trap, be reminded that you are really free. His power is greater than anything that we can do. And we want to see God's power move through us. But let's prepare ourselves to receive it. As Would you just stand with us as we just want to give you a few calls to action today. We're going to sing this song. It's called How He Loves Today. It's a reminder of God's incredible love, his incredible grace, and his mercy. It's a reminder that you really are free. It's a reminder that you really are not in bondage. His grace is what has touched you. His grace is what has reached down into your life that has given you this freedom. And so I want you to encourage you, number one, that if you haven't taken the step today to surrender, if you haven't proclaimed the words in verse 25 or 24 and 25 to understand your wretchedness, your brokenness, I encourage you today, recognize it. And then surrender yourself to Him, Jesus Christ, who is the only one that can save you from the life of sin and death. But we also want to encourage you today that we know we've hit some topics that have been difficult, that have been hard. But I want to give you the opportunity today, before you leave, to come forward. We have part of our prayer team here. Now, I'm going to be up here in this corner, gentlemen, and ladies over here in this corner. That today, if you're just looking to share, hey, this is how the enemy is attacking me. I just want to bring it to life. We encourage you, come forward. We want to bring it to life with you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray over you. Once you understand you're not alone in the struggle, you're not alone in the fight that you are in. So come forward. Don't hesitate. Come forward there. Bring that confession to the table. But then we're going to pray just collectively for God's power to continue to move us, to get to reveal himself to us and the steps that we could take this week. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for Paul's words, Lord, that we can just take a moment here and just connect to the reality that we are in, but not be left there. We got to be left with the incredible hope that is in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that today we are free, that we are free, Lord. Lord, we recognize today the enemy and the war that he is waging against us. 
And God, may today, may people be bold. May they be bold in confessing today the struggles to one another that they are dealing with. May we as a community, as a church family, gather around one another and bring life to one another, bring hope to one another. Bring a power, God, through you to our lives. I pray for boldness today and surrender there. Lord, pray for those that are coming to Jesus, coming to you, Lord, for the very first time that they would begin to experience your love and your mercy and your grace, Lord. Lord, fill us continually with your presence. Move in our hearts today, God. In Jesus' name, amen.